today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. The Bible tells us that God designed us and we flourish in His design. Genesis 2 says that we are not cosmic accidents, that we were designed by a designer to be uniquely in the image of God. God knows us and loves us. And what he has designed, he's designed for our good and for his glory. And so when those things meet our good and his glory, we flourish. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. Contrary to popular belief, you were created by design. And you are not some cosmic accident that evolved from a primordial soup into an intelligent being. Today, Pastor Ricky will be encouraging us to live for the Lord and to glorify Him with our bodies because we were created in His image. We are held to a high moral standard of holiness because we are to imitate God as dear children. If the devil can convince people that they evolved from animals, people will start acting like that. Now, here's Pastor Ricky with part one of his message, Wisdom and Sexuality. Proverbs chapter five. And I always say this, but especially in this passage, hear me when I say, this is God's holy and authoritative word. Verse one, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voices of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? 
For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Now listen, I'm going to tell you up front that I cannot say everything about this topic that needs to be said, um, but... This passage is only one passage among many passages in the Bible. That's stating the obvious, right? Um, Meaning that it's here for a particular reason to say a particular thing. Now, there's a few things, though, that we need to bring into this text from the rest of Scripture in order to understand this rightly. These things would have been on the the mind and heart of the Son hearing these words, and and we we need to have these on our hearts as well. First... The Bible tells us that God designed us and we flourish in his design. Genesis 2 says that we are not cosmic accidents, that we were designed by a designer to be uniquely in the image of God. God knows us and loves us. And what he has designed, he's designed for our good and for his glory. And so when those things meet our good and his glory, we flourish. This means also that God designed our sexuality. God was not surprised that Adam, seeing his wife in the garden, burst into song. He wasn't like, wow, I can't believe you like that that much. That's great, you know? I mean, I just exceeded my expectations here. God was not surprised. He designed that song and what came after it. Our sexuality is not the result of sin. It existed before sin. It was designed by God himself. And yet we know that in Genesis 3, that beautiful relationship turns ugly. This couple so in love just verses earlier are blaming each other for their sin. And sin corrupts even that area of our lives. Third, God designed our sexuality for the context of this husband and wife relationship. It's clear that God's design is this unique design where two biologically and emotionally and spiritually different come together and just these two of them and they come together with a bond that forms for life and that within that union, This part of their relationship is meant to give pleasure, to produce children, and to express their love and passion for one another. And while it does that, it stokes their love and passion for one another. Now listen, this this son has likely had the talk, right? And so He's, he's heard that, but he's at the age, remember, where he's, this is probably uh, directed at young men in their teens in the house of Israel. And so he's thinking, okay, dad, I know that stuff, but how does this apply to what I'm feeling right now at this age of raging hormones where girls are looking better and better and his mom and sisters are starting to give him a hard time about who he's gonna marry and, and all of that stuff. What does wisdom look like applied to our sexuality? And the answer we find in this passage is, is this charge from the Lord. Drink deeply from the stream God has provided. That's 
God's design, to drink deeply from the stream God has provided. And we're going to cover this with two images, one image of bitter honey and one image of sweet water. First image, bitter honey, where verse one charges the son to be attentive to the father's wisdom as it's about to be applied to this area. Now, I want to qualify something up front, okay? If you are a woman, you might think this is not a super flattering portrayal of women. And listen, that, that can be a legitimate even concern, thinking, man, all women are not like this. These like crazy maniacs just trying to seduce young boys. That's, that's nuts. Well, remember, this is the book of Proverbs. And one of the ways the book of Proverbs works is it introduces us to a cast of characters, right? There's, there's the character of wisdom. There's the character of the fool. There's the character of the simple. Now, the fool is not perfectly like exemplified in any one person. Now, we may know some foolish people, but none of them, and I can guarantee you this, do every single foolish thing the fool does in Proverbs, right? Instead, the father is saying, this is what this kind of character looks like. Don't do this. Don't listen to this guy. Don't follow him. And in a similar way, the father is introducing kind of this character of seduction, of adultery. She's not a literal woman. I, I believe she represents kind of any illicit sexual temptation. Any temptation to go outside of what God has designed is, is I think, represented and in view here. And so this type of character, maybe there's nobody in our world that's exactly like this, especially as we see chapter 7, but we see this type of character peek through, don't we? We see it peek through in the hookup culture in college, in the business environment where there's good-looking, flirty people kind of lingering after the meeting or lingering at the hotel bar on a business trip. And we see it come through in kind of these titillating romance novels and, and Snapchats and pornography online. And, and the father, rather than addressing all of that, he, he introduces this character, this seductive woman that represents illicit temptation. And he lays out two things. He lays out first what the world offers. And what the world offers, he says, looks like life, but is death. Verse three says, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Now, listen, one of the things I appreciate about the proverb, I mean, about the father in Proverbs 5 is he does not deny the seductive qualities of forbidden sin, okay? He doesn't try to get with his son and go, just try not to feel those things anymore, okay? Just try to feel less. Or, you know what, son, she's not even, she's not even pretty. You know, don't even, yeah, that's, 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 she's not pretty. No, he goes, look, it's true. He uses the sweetest thing in the ancient world, right? So in the ancient world, they didn't have like sugar factories, okay? Cranking out this stuff, injecting it into everything we eat. The sweetest thing, now listen, in the ancient world, the sweetest thing in that, that era was usually honey. And it was precious and rare in many cases. And so there would be, you, know, you would look forward to maybe, maybe on some holiday when you knew you were going to have this and you'd, you'd taste this and it would just blow your mind because the rest of the year you're eating this kind of more comparatively bland stuff. He says, yeah, that, that, that's what it looks like. 
this smoothest thing in the ancient world was oil, right? I mean, it's just this image of, of um, luxury and excess, this oil flowing off of something. And the father does not deny the pleasure inherent in temptation. Instead, he says this, but in the end. He says, listen, I'm not going to deny that in that single half-second moment, there's pleasure, but I want you to look just five minutes into the future, just two hours into the future, just a year into the future, and I want to show you that that sweetness turns to death. There's, there's this image of, uh, there's a contrast between sweetness and bitterness and smoothness and sharpness. So, it, it goes down, it, that first taste on your tongue is sweet and smooth, and yet it turns bitter and cuts you like a knife. That's, that's what he's saying about temptation. Now, in our world today, any limit on sexual expression is seen as death, okay? Uh, the only true life is the ability to pursue what you want, with who you want and where you want and when you want, with no restriction, that is life. And death is any, any restriction on that. That's the default view of our culture. And this is the reality that, that if, we tell, if we tell people, listen, the Bible tells you who you can and can't sleep with, they think that's death. That's death. Why would I do that? Why would I become a Christian? Really? This is life. You're offering me death. No way. And the father is saying, listen, you've got it backwards. The world has it backwards. I did some research into honey this, this week, and I found out something about honey. There, there's a particular scenario in which the following happens. You see some wild honey. You're out for a hike or something, and you you take some of that honey. Maybe the bees are gone or whatever, and, and, and you take it, take a little bit more, take a little bit more, and it is sweet, and it is smooth. But within a few minutes, you begin sweating, and your stomach turns sour, and you get nauseated, and a prickling sensation grows across all of your skin and in your mouth. You begin to feel Weak. And this can get so bad that in extreme cases, you can actually get heart blocks or your heart will start beating in irregular rhythms. Because unbeknownst to you, the honey was made from a nectar of a poisonous plant like a rhododendron or was made from a poisonous plant that maybe everyone else is okay with, but you have a particular allergy to. See, the, the nectar is made from these things, and so that sweet sheen is over it. But as soon as it goes down, it can turn your stomach sour. This is what the father is pointing out. Listen, son. In the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. It tastes sweet, but look 30 seconds into the future, son. Look an hour, look a month, look a year into the future, and it leads to death. And he 
adds this charge. Now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. This is his charge. In light of the fact that this is this dangerous, don't even go near her. Don't walk down her street. Don't respond to his text message. Hey, girl, you up? Don't do it. This is incredibly practical, guys. Do not go near this kind of temptation. It's not the kind of temptation that you can kind of walk up to the line and go, hmm, okay. As a parent, there are certain temptations where you you ask your son, okay, don't leave the concrete, don't go over into this part of the yard, stay right here. And if they step over, it's not that big of a deal, right? But there are other things like pools where you don't want them to get up to the edge. You want them to be back. You want them to be back, back, right? That's, that's what the father is saying. This is so dangerous that you don't understand the danger. And I'm telling you, stay back from it. Don't go online late at night, scrolling through random stuff. Stay back. Because he lays out a picture of death. And he does this, I think, to, to put a little bit of this bitterness into his son's mouth, Okay. Because see, the son can see that it it tastes, it looks sweet. So the father says, okay, I'm going to show you some of the bitterness as well. And this is what he says, lest, don't do this, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And in the end, you say, it was all because I hated discipline and wisdom, right? I'm at the brink of ruin. Now, you may think this is really extreme, okay? I mean, seriously, like one dalliance over here leads to destruction of your life. Well, look at the categories he's laying out here. This secret sin often results, no, check that, usually results in public humiliation. You might think no one will find out. That's the lie sin tells you when it's offering you the honey. No one will find out. You know what this passage says? They will. Someone found out in this case, and he was humiliated. It says in, in the, in the, he was at the brink of ruin in the assembled congregation. Look, these weren't big towns, guys, <laughs> in the ancient world. And, and something like this would stay with you for years and years and years, leaving you at the brink of ruin in front of everyone you knew. His secret sin resulted in public humiliation. His stealing of someone else's wife resulted in his wealth being stolen from him. Look, this is just practical. Perhaps a jealous husband found him and took everything he had. Or perhaps his own sin led him to waste his whole fortune, like the prodigal son, on prostitutes and profligate living. At the end of his life, he's drug addicted, strung out, Tons of STDs, right? This is, I mean, this is not just fear-mongering. The, the father is saying, listen, son, this can happen. Don't think that it can happen to you. His sweet bodily pr- pleasure has resulted in a broken body. And now we don't know exactly why his body's broken, but look, maybe he lost his job. Maybe all that he could do is find work as a day laborer. Maybe he was beaten up. Maybe he had wounds for the rest of his life. There's a situation that some of the commentaries point to that, that apparently in the ancient world, at times, somebody who was, whose wife or essentially wife was seduced by another man and the man took his wife, he, that, that, that man could make that 
kind of other guy, his slave for life. So that may be what's in view here. He's saying, essentially, son, you could lose everything. Now, look, every situation is different, but the lie of sin is thinking that you can sin and not suffer. You cannot sin and not suffer. It comes in many forms, but in our world, sometimes it comes in very real things like child support payments or losing your house or losing your job. It can result in deep depression and loneliness, in lifelong disease, in family shame. Uh, I was looking at a a recent blog by a pastor where the man um, wrote out for himself like 100 possible consequences of adultery and and committed to read it every year so that he would be sufficiently sobered. These were some of the consequences he laid out. Deep break in my relationship with God. Countless hours replaying and regretting my failure. Deep scarring to my wife. Deep divide in our relationship for the rest of our marriage. My children would feel deep hurt and shame and anger. I could lose my job. I could be ruined financially. I would destroy the witness of Christ in my extended family. They would believe it's all a lie. And on and on the consequences go. See, what what the father is doing is he's not just using fear-mongering, guys. He's, He's bringing a dose of reality into the raging youthful hormones of his son. And I think a helpful dose of reality. And friends... That is one of the biggest lies of our culture today, that you can sin, in, especially in this area, and not suffer. Um, and this is only, we're going to get to later, but this is only in this life. This isn't even bringing in eternity. And even just in this life, the Father is saying there's sufficient reason to stay back, don't taste the honey. Instead, he encourages his son toward the sweet water that God offers. This is what God offers. God offers what looks like death, but is life. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Ray Ortland comments this. He says, look what the Lord is not saying. He is not saying There's temptation out there. Well, here is your future. Endless frustration bottled up inside. Now, obviously, we need self-control. And obviously, some are called to singleness, as I'll address in a minute. But for many that will marry, God's remedy for this thirst is surprisingly, or not surprisingly, to drink. God designed us to thirst because there is such a thing as water. He applies the metaphor to this area as well. Open God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Open God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Bookstore shelves are lined with books and stadiums are filled with speakers touting the very latest and greatest about wisdom. 
And while God can, and he does, use these sorts of methods to impart wisdom, the very best place to obtain God's wisdom is through his word, specifically the book of Proverbs. Pastor Ricky is currently teaching through a series entitled Wisdom for Life, where he will tackle everyday issues through the lens of God's wisdom. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Alcantar of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website. That's betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, our phone number is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to join us, then please come out and visit this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. The theme music for Better News Radio has been provided by Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from this series, Wisdom for Life. That's next time on Better News Radio.